Good morning. Hey, welcome to Redemption. Glad you're here. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. I want to give a special welcome to those of you who are watching online. Thanks for joining with us this morning. We're in a series entitled Digging Deeper. And the series is a setup for our entire year. It's kind of like a thesis uh, for where we're headed throughout the rest of the year. And it started in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, which says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, from this very simple verse, we can pull out a lot of important truths. First, Jesus referred to his followers as disciples. It was later when the term Christian was used. Jesus' plan was always to have disciples. We've defined disciples like this. A disciple is a follower of Jesus and his teaching. The next thing we see in this simple verse is that disciples have to be trained, fully trained. The, the process of becoming like Jesus or following Jesus and his teaching is simply that, a process. We don't start there. We move and we're trained and we're developed and we grow as we follow Christ. We use this term in church called discipleship, which we have defined like this. Discipleship is a continuous process of gospel transformation where we become more like Jesus. That every stage and every age and every part of the Christian life, there should be growth. And that growth happens by the gospel. The gospel is what saves us and the gospel is then what grows us up. Paul said it this way, just as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, how do we receive Christ by grace through faith, then also grow or go deeper into it. And so all of the Christian life is just discovering the gospel over and over and over again. We created this diagram to kind of show how this works. And so what happens is the gospel breaks into the human heart through the word of God and prayer and then what comes out of the other side is gospel transformation. And so as the gospel breaks into your heart where anger used to come out, now comes out peace. Where division used to come out, now comes out unity. And this is when we know the gospel is working its way in us and through us. And the whole point of church and the whole point of Christianity is to become a disciple of Christ to be in this discipleship process throughout all of life. Last week, I introduced the first way that we grow in this gospel. It's by understanding the scriptures. And so I gave a, a paradigm for how to understand your scriptures. If you've ever asked the question, uh, or if, you, if the question has ever been asked of you, do you understand what you're reading when it comes to the Bible? And you've said, no. Last week's sermon may help. You can go back and and listen, because it's, a, it's an idea that we want to permeate our whole Christian lives. But then after we read the scriptures, what happens is then we internalize it through prayer. And through prayer, then the, the scripture um, begins to, to move in us and to, and to work its way through us. And so this morning, I want to talk about prayer. I want us to be taught how to pray. Now, if you don't know, I have a three-year-old daughter. Her name is Reagan, and we're at this stage in life where we're trying to get her to always and only sleep in her own bed, which is not her favorite thing to do. And so one parent, of course, has to um, take on the responsibility of getting her into bed and then laying with her um, while she 
maybe goes to sleep, but never actually does. I got that job. And so um, I spend the first hour or two of my night trying to sleep, um, crammed into her little kid bed. And when we get, uh, when we lay down after we read and pray, and uh, then I ask her three questions. I ask her three questions. I said, who loves you? She says, daddy. Then I say, daddy's always here too. And she says, help. And then I say, what do you do if you get sad? And she says, talk to daddy. And these are the three questions that I've trained her because I want her to know that I always love her. I want her to know that whenever I show up, I'm here to help. And I want her to know that whenever she's feeling sad in the future, to come talk to daddy first. I'm trying to train her early on to to, to think correctly around these things and to have these truths sunk deep down into, into her heart and her little soul. Now, after I get through those questions, we sit there and I'm trying to get her to go to sleep and she always then does the same thing. She goes, Daddy, do you want to talk to me? I'm like, well, how can I say no to that? <laughs> like, no, I want you to sleep, but yeah, let's, let's talk. She goes, Daddy, let's talk. And I say, Reagan, what do you want to talk about? And she says, let's talk about business. I said, you truly are my daughter, if that's what you would like to talk about tonight. And I said, well, what kind of business do you want to talk about? And she goes, let's talk about red business. And I say, what's your favorite red business? And she says, Target. And I said, mommy's too. And then we talk about Target, and then she says, let's talk about gray business. What's your favorite gray business? Coca-Cola. She drinks a lot of Diet Coke, so... Just kidding. I don't let her drink Diet Coke. Okay. Um, And so we talk about business until she falls asleep. And it's this really beautiful relational time for my daughter and I. And early on, I was tempted to make it transactional. I'm here. You sleep. The point is to get to the end (laughs) where you sleep. And in the midst of that, I realized... These might be some of my favorite memories someday. And so instead of making it transactional, let's make it relational. There's a tendency for the believer to make prayer transactional. I just want to get to the end, God. Will you give me what I need? Will you give me what I want? And prayer, prayer It's fundamentally relational. Now, we'll get to that again in a second. I'll reiterate the point, but I wanted to use this story to set us up. See, what happens in Luke chapter 11 is Jesus' disciples approach him. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. There's a few things right here in the opener that we learn that are really important. First, we learn the heart of a disciple The heart of a disciple is humble. I don't know this, Lord. Will you teach me? The heart of a disciple is to ask the question, will you teach me? Will you teach me, Jesus? See, Jesus' disciples knew two things about Jesus' prayer life. One, that it was frequent. Secondly, that it was powerful. 
See, just a few stories before the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. There was a moment when they had come down, well, not all of them, but a few of them, and Jesus had come down off of a mountain. It's known as the Mount of Transfiguration. It's really not that important. But immediately after that, the other nine disciples were trying to heal somebody or cast out a demon, and they were unable to do it. And uh, afterwards, Jesus came down, and, and he did it. And they said, well, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus' short answer is, oh, this kind takes a different kind of prayer. So they knew Jesus's prayers were powerful and effective. And so they looked at him and they said, well, teach us how to pray. And here's what Jesus does. He does teach them how to pray. And the format that Jesus gives them in teaching them how to pray is the format or the template that we can learn and it's a template and a format that, that it doesn't necessarily change. The basis of it doesn't change, but it grows in power. So this morning, what I want to look at is the motive of prayer. Uh, I want to look at the template of prayer. Uh, I want to look at the mechanism of prayer. And I want to look at the aim of prayer. And I'll give you four letters associated with each one that I hope will help you to remember what we've talked about this morning. This is not just, I hope, a sermon on prayer, but what it becomes is, is a paradigm for you on how you will look at prayer. Now, first, uh, we're going to hop over to Matthew, which is um, the other accounts of this same story. And in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is answering the same question, you know, will you teach us how to pray? And he's trying to teach his disciples how to pray. And the first thing Jesus does is he fixes motives, so we'll start with the motive of prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The motive of prayer, Jesus reveals first the wrong motive. And he says the, uh, the wrong motive is that you pray to be seen and you pray to be heard. Now, this, of course, can happen in human terms as Jesus lays it out for them, people actually getting out in streets and, and they want to be seen by everybody else. And so they pray out loud and they're praying in public and they're a person of prayer. But I believe this incorrect motive can also be between just us and God. That the motive of our prayer is, God, do you see me? God, do you hear me? Like, do you, do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Do you see my demonstrations? Said another way, they're transactional. Jesus then told them what the right motive was. Just go in secret. Just get away and have some time with your Father. What's the right motive of prayer? To connect with the Father or said in a word, relational. Prayer is relational. And the format of prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples is that first. It is relational. Don't miss out on the relational element of prayer and try to skip right to the transaction. Prayer is first relational. It's time for us and our Heavenly Father. Now, secondly, Jesus teaches them the, uh, what I'm calling the template of prayer. Again, in Matthew 6, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. There's one template, the wrong template of prayer, and that is, he says, it's using these lofty or eloquent phrases or, or words. Maybe it's speaking loudly to make sure that God hears us, or it's speaking softly to make sure that we know that we're serious, right? And, and there's this like template uh, that we use around prayer. And, and God says, no, that's not, the, that's not the, the right template. That's the wrong template. The, the right template, he says, is just simple language. Or the word I'm using is it's an inward, not an outward thing. See, the thing that Jesus was correcting is people just using words and language, right, uh, so that they might be heard. That They think if I just use the right words, if I just have the right phrases, regardless if they have meaning or not, then I, then I have the right template, and so God will bless it. Like a Thanksgiving meal. There's a, there's a, a template to it, right? Like, like you get your mashed potatoes, you get your turkey, like a traditional Thanksgiving meal, right? You get your vegetable, uh, you have your roll. If you're, you know, one of those people, you have cranberry, right? Uh, and then you sprinkle some gravy over everything, right? And that's like the template of prayer. And it, or, uh, I'm sorry, of Thanksgiving. And, yeah. And if we're not careful, prayer becomes like that. And so you have an opening, Right? In high school, we had a guy, and he always prayed, our Father and our God. And so, like, all the students, we'd, like, kind of make fun of them because every prayer started, our Father and our God. And so that's, like, your mashed potatoes. And then you have to fit in a few key phrases. Like, God, would you just? God, would you just? And you use the word just a lot. That's like the cranberries. And then if you're talking about someone's protection, then you throw in the hedge of protection in there and... There's just these little phrases. And listen, next time you pray for me, you don't need to be self-conscious if you use one of these phrases, okay? I'm just trying to prove a point that disconnected from the motive and, and the right heart, then prayer just becomes a template. And then we end it with, and Lord, help us to have a good day in Jesus' name, amen. And what Jesus is teaching here, and the ironic part is this, reciting the Lord's prayer can become the exact opposite of what Jesus was teaching because it just becomes empty phrases that we recite. What Jesus wanted his template of prayer to be was simple but meaningful inward language. Jesus, do something in me. Jesus, change me. I've been starting my prayers with Proverbs 21, 21, a verse I preached on a few weeks ago, which is, he who pursues righteousness and kindness finds life, prosperity, and honor. And I've just been opening my prayers with the Lord I want to be a person who pursues righteousness and kindness in everything. Where am I not? Would you change me? And in this way, then prayer becomes much more inward. And listen, if, if your whole prayer life is outward, if your whole prayer life is, is God, would you do this? And God, would you do that? Like out there. Or your whole prayer life is spent in anxiety about what is happening out there. You're missing out on some of the depths and the beauty of prayer. Prayer being inward about what God is changing in you. Because see, when God begins to change those things in you, then what you might have been asking for out there, you don't even want anymore. Or even if it doesn't happen, you learn to trust him more deeply. So prayer is relational, and prayer is inward. 
Then Jesus, hopping back now over to the Luke passage, teaches us the, the mechanism of prayer. The other day, I was trying to close a door, and as I was closing the door, I, I, was, I used tape, and so I just lined up scotch tape along this whole little door that I was trying to get to stay shut, and it just kept opening, just kept opening. It needed more strength. It needed more power. Like It needed like a sheath of nails and a nail gun to like keep this door in. power of prayer, Jesus teaches us here, is in persistence. Persistence. Jesus tells this story, this story that, uh, going back now to the story I told previously about Reagan, is um, very relevant to my life right now. The, Jesus, the story Jesus is telling is like, he's like, hey, imagine, and by the way, remember, this is Jesus telling a story about, uh, with a metaphor about his father, and so what Jesus is saying is, hey, hey, disciples, if you want to understand my father, let me give you just a little picture of how he operates. I know him pretty well. He's my dad, Jesus is saying. Let me give you a picture of, of how you can understand a little bit better of, of how your prayers can become effective and the, the aim of it, or not the aim, sorry, the, uh, the essence of it is, is, is persistence. But the story Jesus tells is this. He's like, okay, so imagine that, um, that, that a guy uh, finally gets his kids to fall asleep. Amen. Right? Like, like in, in this scenario, right, like I can put myself in this, and if it's one of those rare moments in the night when all four human beings in our family are asleep, that is a beautiful moment and rare. <laughs> and imagine that we finally hit that moment, and then all of a sudden on, um, on our door is knock, 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 knock. Now, at that moment, I don't care what the person is asking me. I, 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 don't, I, I don't necessarily even care who it is, but, but in that moment, as they're knocking on my door and they're wake, waking up Reagan or they're waking up August or they're waking up Lindsay or they're waking up me, like I will give you whatever it takes if you will just stop knocking. Like just lay out your request. Even if I don't like you, like just take it. Sleep is more important than whatever you're asking me for. And, and, and Jesus, he, he teaches them, he says, so, so guys, if you, if you want to get to that point, like, let me just, just keep knocking. Just knock, 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 knock. And then when you get tired, switch hands. Knock, 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 knock. He said, I know him. He's my dad. This is how it's going to work. Just keep knocking. Persistence. The other day, and just for clarity's sake, whenever I say the other day, that means any time within the last two years, okay? Just so we're all on the same page. So the other day, uh, I was dropping Reagan off at, um, at my in-laws, and uh, there was something wrong with their doorbell. And, uh, and then in their house, the way it's set up, they, they hang out a lot in the basement and, and that kind of thing. And so I went over there and I hit the doorbell twice and nothing happened. And, and so then I started knocking on the door and, and I knocked for a good, you know, little bit and, and no one answered the door. And so I just, uh, I went and I sat back in the car and I arrived at the logical conclusion, well, they just must not be home, right? So I'll just wait till they get home. And then once they get home, then I'll, you know, give them Reagan and then I'll go do what I got to do. And so I sat out there and I don't exactly know how long the time went by, but it felt like a while. And I'm just kind of sitting there waiting for them to get home. And uh, eventually, uh, I, I, I just felt kind of hopeless. And so I uh, went back to the door, and I just started pounding on the door because Lindsay told me, no, they're home. And so I just started pounding. And guess what happened eventually? They answered. 
Guess what progress I made sitting in my car? None. Guess what likelihood there was of, uh, of, of them answering the door when I wasn't knocking? None. You see, the moment I just sat in my car, my ability to change the situation went down to zero. When we stop praying, when we give up on it, our ability to alter the situation goes down to zero. But Jesus teaches us here, just keep knocking. I know you've been praying for that person's salvation. Knock, 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 knock. I know you've been praying that the situation would change, and it hasn't. Don't stop knocking. Jesus says, knock, and the door will be answered. So prayer is relational. Prayer is inward. Prayer, prayer is persistent almost annoyingly so. It's persistent. And then lastly, our fourth word here, we see it right at the end in verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Fourthly, prayer is it's spirit. It's spiritual in nature. And then it also becomes spirit-filled. Even as you read through the Lord's Prayer, I would really argue that, that only one of the words is really in the practical or the physical. The rest of it is, is spirit in nature. This doesn't mean that prayer is just ethereal and it has no practical implications. It certainly does. But prayer, prayer is spirit in nature. And then, it, and then it's spirit-filled. And Jesus says the aim of prayer at the end, he says the deep aim of prayer is what? That you might know the Holy Spirit, that you might have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because then when the Holy Spirit comes in, then you know exactly how to pray. And when you know exactly how to pray, and, and, and Jesus teaches us elsewhere, when you pray in the Spirit and you pray exactly as Christ would pray, then whatever you're praying for happens. And so prayer is spiritual or spirit-filled in nature. And, and this, friends, this is the template of prayer that Jesus teaches Relational, inward, persistent, and spiritual or spirit-filled. And, and the, the thing with the template of prayer is that the template or the format here stays the same throughout the entire Christian life. See, we're in a series called Digging Deeper, but you can't dig deeper until you break ground. And so we can't dig deeply into prayer until we first break ground on prayer. But the Prayer, the breaking ground prayer, is the same prayer when you get really, really deep. But along the way, there's two little things that get added in. First, each of those four things, the relational inward persistence and, and the spirit, or the spiritual, the spirit-filled, those four things, they, they grow in depth. Who is more relational in his prayers than Jesus? Who is more inward in his focus than Jesus? who is more persistent in his prayers, more spirit-filled than Christ? No one. And whose prayers are more effective than Christ? No one. See, we see this in David as well. We see the relational depths of his prayers. 
We see the inward focus of David's prayers when, when he's crying out in agony as God is just ripping out of his heart that which ought not to be there. And as we grow in relationship with the Father, as we grow more inward in our prayers about what God wants to do inside of us, not just out there, as we grow increasingly, annoyingly persistent in our knocking, as we grow more spirit-filled and, uh, and more spiritual instead of just worried about the, the physical or the world, as we grow in that and our prayer takes on a new depth and a new power. James would say it this way, the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. Jesus would say it, greater things you will do through prayer. And the other thing that happens, we see this in the disciples. See, they had one prayer life pre-Pentecost. It's pretty weak. But they had the same template. And then they had a different type of prayer life post-Pentecost. If you're unfamiliar with these terms, Pentecost is just when the Holy Spirit fell. And then we see the, when, when, when the disciples began to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it wasn't just like an addition to their prayer life. It was like an exponent. Like it multiplied it greatly. And so what happens is we learn the template of prayer, relational, inward, persistent, spiritual, and then we grow in depth in those, and then we add the Holy Spirit uh, as we become more spirit-filled, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and then it just makes a power happen in our prayers. But it starts with the template, this, this format. Right? Because... So Jesus teaches how to pray, and he, he taught him that, but if it was just about the recitation of a few phrases, then what was Jesus doing all those hours on the mountains? He was teaching the format, knowing that as we grow, it takes almost on like a new life. I remember the first time I played Atari. Like, I can still kind of remember, like, seeing an Atari and thinking, this is by far the most magical thing ever. Like, look at the graphics. This is amazing. These little blocks that look like humans. Then we got a Super Nintendo. And in Super Nintendo, Mario could fly. It was amazing. Then we got an N64. And I spent the next five years of my life playing Goldeneye. And I thought, this is unbelievable. Now they're on like Xbox 49. And you actually think there's real human beings playing the game. The bit, the bit that, that, that built Atari is the exact same bit that they use now. They've just increased its power. The template is exactly the same as it was then. And Atari at the beginning, as it is now, I mean, it took a lot of years, right? 20, 30 years in the progression of that. And so it is with prayer. That, that there's a template that begins, that, that starts, that we, we begin, and, and it's kind of clunky, like an Atari was clunky. But there's a format that, that begins to grow. And then as it progresses, all of a sudden, you get to a new level of prayer and you go, whoa, what is, what is this? Like, it's unbelievable. Almost like, like you're seeing real life 
happen through your prayer as you grow in power. But it starts with the temple. And then then you ask like, well, well, how powerful? Like how powerful can prayer get? Oh, Jesus taught us all along the way, like, like faith to move mountains, powerful. Like body healing, soul and spirit reviving, chains breaking, powerful. Like how powerful does prayer get? Like, like hell stopping, demon shaking, kingdom advancing, church growing, powerful. Like salvation bringing, Satan stomping, freedom granting, powerful. And it starts, it starts with understanding the template. Oh, and then as it grows, power, power comes with it. A few weeks ago, I um, I got a, a text from my sister. It was early in the morning, and I had known that the night before she was in labor. I didn't know to that morning that it had been, and even hearing some of the story later, a very hard, <laughs> very hard labor. And in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m. or so, my nephew was born. And he came out swollen, lung issues. And after a hard, long labor, my sister told me later she sat after having 20, 30 people in the room. I mean, almost everyone, right? She sat all alone in her hospital room. Her husband and her child down at the ICU ICU unit. And there she sat, just sitting there. What she had carried for nine months and, and what she had been in labor for, for over 12 hours, like, like, like gone, taken. This is the middle of the night. Well, about 7 a.m. or so, the text messages started going out. Hey, can you guys pray for Lincoln? Hey, can you guys pray for Lincoln? Can you guys, can you guys pray for Lincoln? And 36 hours later, I get a picture of Lincoln in a Nike onesie after we had thought that he would be in the ICU for weeks and had no idea what was going on in his little body. 36 hours later, the picture I get of a baby in perfect health. Why? Because the prayers of righteous people availeth much. And so if you ever begin to wonder, like, well, why should I learn how to pray? Like, what's really at stake here? Everything. Everything is at stake here. Because God gave us one mechanism for things to change, and that's prayer. It's prayer. It's us. 
individually, families, churches, knocking, 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 knocking. It's prayers for people. It's prayers for families. It's prayers for churches. It's prayers for nations. And this, this one template and growing in depth and having the Holy Spirit come and empower it is where it all begins. So for all of our sakes, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to pray. I hope this here helps you. Let's pray. Father, with humility and the heart of a disciple, we simply ask, teach us how to pray like you prayed. Make us as effective in it as you were. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connectcard. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.